from Pacifica Radio Network and the studios at KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Progressive Spirit. ProgressiveSpirit.net. I'm John Schock. Five years ago, the nation was stunned at the case of the Bergholtz Beard Cutters. The Bergholtz Amish community in southern Ohio found itself outside the law by following its bishop, Sam Mullet, who became increasingly authoritarian. He controlled his community, doling out punishments, sexually abusing the wives of the men he punished, and instructing his members to forcibly cut beards and hair of other members of the Bergholtz community. The FBI came involved when Mullet ordered his followers to cut and shave beards and hair of those he considered his enemies in other Amish communities. We're going to hear the story told from the point of view of Sam Mullet's grandson, Johnny Mast, who eventually broke away from the community. He's the author, along with Sean Smucker, of Breakaway Amish, Growing Up with the Bergholtz Beard Cutters. He's with me by phone from his truck in Middlefield, Ohio. Welcome, Johnny Mast, to Progressive Spirit. Yeah, glad to be here. Two years ago, Donald uh, Craybill wrote Renegade Amish, Beard Cutting, Hate Crimes, and the Trial of the Burkholtz Barbers. You're the grandson of the bishop who was at the center of these crimes, Sam Mullet. Why is it important for you to have written this book, Breakaway Amish, Growing Up with the Burkholtz Beard Cutters? I just wanted to get the actual truth out there. There was a lot of... Uh a lot of stuff on the media that wasn't true, that was, you know, exaggerated to, at, to some point. And I kn- know a lot of people around, you know, they were wondering what actually happened. I just felt compelled to put my story out there just to get the truth out there so people know what actually happened. What were some of the things that uh, you needed to correct? The biggest thing that uh, that people were saying that, that I know for a fact that wasn't true was, you know, they had stories out there about Sam, you know, Feeding people really badly, which, you know, Sam didn't do it himself. And they also had stories out about Sam actually murdering children that weren't normal and burying them in his backyard. And that wasn't true. So that's, I just want to, you know, clear some of that stuff up a little bit. But I also want people to be aware of some of the stuff that was on the news actually was true. You know, he was, he was sleeping with, say, 90% of the women within the community I just wanted to get some of that stuff out there. You begin your book uh, recounting yourself on the witness stand, uh, testifying for the prosecution. What were you feeling uh, when you were on the witness stand? What was going through your mind? I was very nervous. I I knew that uh, that I knew stuff that could very well prove Sam guilty. And at that time, I still wanted to please him. I still wanted to do what made him happy. I didn't want to say something that would put him in prison for a period of time. So I was very nervous. I was scared. I talked to the attorney before, you know, he told me, you know, just say what you have to answer with with yes and no when you can. And then that's just what I tried to do. But it was still, it was, it was very hard. Well, what was uh, the charge? What were uh, your grandfather and the others on trial for? Uh, they were on trial for hate crimes, kidnapping, breaking and entering, uh, conspiracy. Uh, I think there was a few other things as well. I can't remember everything, but it, w- it was it was a pretty pretty intense trial. 
And the case was, of course, around the uh, beard cutting itself, right? Right, right. That's what that's what triggered it. Well, can you provide a brief overview of what happened to the community leading up to those assaults and the forced beard cuttings? Uh, what was the community like growing up for you? Uh, it was it was sort of normal for a while. You know, I moved in there when I was eleven years old, and by the time I was seventeen, you know, it started to get a little bit weird, a little different. You know, we weren't communicating with that many other Amish communities anywhere, so we didn't really have anybody to talk to. So it was it was kind of a the type of thing where you kind of grew into it. It didn't happen overnight. You know, things didn't change overnight. It was somewhat normal for a while. Then it got a little crazy. I write in the book about uh, that one winter when, it, you know, stuff got really crazy, you know, and there was beard cutting within the community. And then, you know, like the summer after that, you know, the next winter it settled down a little bit. And then it came up, you know, to go outside the community and cut the hair and beards. And that's when I start to, you know, really get scared and, you know, think, you know, this is this is going a little bit too far. We're getting a little bit crazy here because the law could get involved. But then Sam was like, well, the law can't do anything because it's all about religion. And he actually said that to the news media. And then when it came to trial, they got, whenever they arrested him, they got him for hate crimes because it, he said it was about religion. And then when we went to trial, he was saying it was just a family feud. It was no longer about religion. And he was trying to say it had nothing to do with religion when he found out that they could actually do something about it if he was doing it because of religion. So it was it was real crazy, you know, for a while there. And, then, you know, after the trial, you know, things settled down somewhat, but it was still never normal again. What were the sentences for uh, those involved? Uh, my grandfather got 15 years. And uh, most of the women got a year. And my one of my aunts, Linda Schrock, she actually got two years, and she served in Minnesota. And then my grandfather appealed the case, and he got his sentence reduced to ten years. Some of the others had seven years. Uh, a couple of the guys had five years, but those sentences were all reduced eventually. They're actually. Uh, all, all the guys are out of jail except for Sam. He's the only one that's still in jail. And uh, even from uh, prison, he was still—he's still leading the community, or it was uh, while you were writing your book. Is that still the case? Uh, as far as I know, yes. I actually just uh, helped one of my cousins get out of there about two months ago. He—he's uh, 16 years old, and he—he he just couldn't put up with the stuff that was going on anymore. He wanted to get out. So I actually helped him get out, and according to what he tells me, it's still, everything's still the same as it was, you know, Sam's still making all the calls from prison, he's calling the shots, you know, on the telephone or through a letter, and he has his daughters, Wilma and Lizzie, kind of carrying out the acts for him. Johnny Mast, my guest on Progressive Spirit, author of Breakaway Amish, Growing Up with the Bergholtz Beard Cutters. Uh, you mentioned uh, that your community was isolated from other Amish. Are mostly the various Amish communities in relationship w- with one another? They're not all in relationships with each other, but all Amish communities have a certain amount of other Amish communities around them that they communicate with, whereas Bertolt's only had the one community for, I'm going to say, five years. It was only, they were only communicating with the one community in Eden Valley, Pennsylvania. And 
after Sam kept going to court about a custody case and a divorce case, they finally told him, if you keep going to court, we can no longer communicate with you, and he just kept going to court. So they actually ended up cutting ties with the Burgos community. So for the last five years of my, you know, that I was living in Burgos, they weren't communicating with any other Amish people whatsoever. And it's that isolation that really led to uh, the control that your grandfather had and still has uh, over the community, isn't it? Right. He, he he got people isolated, and, you know, he got people to the point where they weren't talking to anybody outside the community. So they really didn't know what was going on, including myself. I didn't really know what was going on. I just had his story, his side of the story, you know, what he was telling me. And I really didn't have any reason not to believe him uh, until I, uh, you know, like I have there in the book, you know, I walked in on him to get the gun to sight him to go deer hunting. You know, I walked in on him. He was in bed with his daughter-in-law. You know, after after that, you know, I was start really wondering, you know, well, what really is going on here? You know, if he's doing this and, you know, trying to tell us we can't even, you know, look at a woman and even have the urge to find a life partner, how can he be sleeping with numerous women and saying that's right. So I started really thinking, you know, obviously, you know, he's not telling the truth about a lot of other stuff as well. And so when you started to realize that, uh, and, and I'm assuming uh, others in the community did too, what prevented um, the community and you from, you know, kind of revolting against, uh, you know, uh, well, speaking out against him? We, we actually did. Me and uh, my brother, he's three years younger than I am, my brother Edward, and two of my cousins, uh, Melvin Schrock and David Schrock, they actually left the community at the same time that me and my brother Edward did. We started talking amongst each other after we kind of figured out what was going on. We knew that we could no longer put up with what was going on, so we kind of decided, you know, we're going to leave. They weren't really accepting us in the community anymore anyway, so we were like, you know what, we'll just nicely leave here and just not make a big deal about it. Well, it turns out they kind of made a big deal about it when we did leave. Well, it's not just simple, is it, to leave? No, it's it's definitely it's definitely not something that you just decide to do overnight. I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, me, after having left the Amish for two and a half years now, I see things a lot differently than I did. I, You know, if something like that would happen now, I'll just, I'd speak up about it a lot sooner, and if nothing was done about it, I'd be a lot quicker to act and leave, you know. Being in the community and being taught from the time you were, as long as you can remember, you were taught that you you could never leave the Amish. You were, if you were born Amish, you had to be Amish in order to even have a chance of getting to heaven someday. They, a lot of the Amish believe, you know, that if you're not Amish, you're born Amish and you leave the Amish faith, you're condemned. Uh, in fact, that was said to you, wasn't it? Uh, that uh, uh, when your family member said he wouldn't see you in heaven. Right, my brother, my brother, I, oldest brother, actually said that to me, and that was when when we told him that you know we're planning on venturing out of the community and seeing what's outside and kind of you know figuring out what's going on. Now, the control by your grandfather began, as I understand it, uh, by requiring everyone to write down all of their sins. Is this how he gained power uh, over the community, by using these uh, sins against them? 
that uh, that is how he gained power to a certain extent. But where he really got most of his power was he got people to write down their sins on a paper, and then he could read it. He could see what everybody you know had done their entire life, any any wrongdoing. So after reading that, he then told the people that you know they should maybe just quit reading the Bible because he thinks, you know, after reading all their sins, he thinks that, you know, the devil has things in the Bible too. And he believes that the devil is twisting the Bible around when they're reading it. He's making them misunderstand what they're reading. So they should just lay their Bible down and no longer read it and just listen to him for a certain period of time. So, you know, everybody was trying to do what he said, you know, so everybody put their Bible away after that. I think it's when he got most of his control. He he took the place of the Bible itself. Right, exactly. You mentioned that he divided people, as you put it, good guys and bad guys. And you were one of the one of the good guys, and your parents were, or your father was one of the bad guys, so to speak. Can you talk a little bit about that? When everybody wrote down their sins, he read whatever they wrote down. If he thought for, if he had the slightest idea that something, he felt that something wasn't quite right, whoever wrote it would basically be put through hell by Sam. I mean, he kept talking to these people, kept pushing these people, saying, no, you did this, you did this, you did this. He even accused one guy of killing someone, which I know for a fact that guy wouldn't that guy wouldn't hurt a kitten, much less kill somebody. Mm-hmm. But he accused somebody. You know, he accused the guy of that, and that's just he started accusing people, and then he got like you know me, what what we call the good guys. He had like four or five guys, you know, that he basically let us get away with anything as long as we did what he felt was necessary to do to get the other people to admit the things that they hadn't even done. So he used us to to go after some of the other guys to get them to admit the things that they'd never done. And then once they admitted to something like that, he would say, well, you're not fit to be with your wife and your kids. You need to be in the, you know, you need to sleep in the bar. You need to be in the chicken coop or whatever. And then he would take their these guys that he put in the bar or chicken coop or the pig pen or whatever it might be, after he had those guys there, he brought their wives to his house and was sleeping with them. And if they had any children that were, say, 13 or 14 years old or older, he'd just leave all the children at home in their own house and would just have somebody go check on them, you know, every couple of days. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, welcome all the children into his home. He'd just take the guy's wife and a couple of the youngest children, and he'd end up sleeping with with the guy's wife. Would you call this a cult? Definitely. 
Johnny Mast, my guest on Progressive Spirit, author of Breakaway Amish, Growing Up with the Burgholtz Beard Cutters. Uh, he also divided you and, and your parents. Uh, had you uh, come to live with him and then while you were there told uh, you bad things about your parents. So, but even after all of this is over, uh, and, and your father, I believe, he put in the coop, I think, didn't he? And, and even after all of this is over, yet still your parents, as I understand it, are still loyal to the community? Yes, they are. They are, in fact. See, that's that's one of the cases, you know, between me and my parents. One of the cases where I was kind of a, I guess you'd say, kind of a strong-willed child, you know, growing up. I always kind of had a kind of had a mind of my own, and I always kind of got along with my father because he never. He never really said that much, but my mother was always, you know, she was always giving me a hard time. You know, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. You know, she wanted me to do everything I could to please Sam. I really didn't care at the time. But then when it came to writing down our sins, we did that, gave Sam the papers. And then on that day, Christmas Day, Sam was like, you know, well, Johnny's the only one that... Sam felt that wrote the truth. He felt that I was the only one that was truthful. And I was truthful. But then he used that against my parents, saying they weren't truthful. They were being dishonest. And he didn't want them to stay. But if I wanted to stay, I could stay. So, you know, like I told somebody yesterday, it was living there and trying to fit in with, with Sam's group was almost like being in the second grade. Hmm. You want to be a well-liked kid. You you want to you want to fit in with your, uh, you know, with your schoolmates. You know, with your classmates. You want to fit in. So you do everything you can to fit in, and that's kind of like you know what it was like living there. Even though, in the back of your mind, you knew some things weren't quite right. You know, living there, we didn't have any friends outside the community. Really, we didn't really know that many people outside the community. So it was just natural to try to do everything that I can to fit in with Sam's group and please him. You know, and after after doing that for so long, you know, he kept telling us bad stuff about our parents. And he he just said enough that it, it actually looked like he was telling me the truth. I, I actually started to believe, you know, that my parents really were bad people. Let's talk about uh, the beard cutting. What's the significance, first of all, of the beard for Amish men? Well, that's uh, you know that's kind of a kind of a toss up. Some people think it's a religious thing. I don't really, and most most Amish people don't really look at it as a religious thing. I don't think. I mean, it's more or less a tradition. Okay. After you know, a- after a guy's married, you know, he grows a full beard. He doesn't grow a mustache because you know they they shy away from mustache. And, you know, from Manch and stuff like that, they shy away from that because they say that's like the world, like the army. You know, back in the day, the army used to have mustaches. So that's why they shy away from that and they go with just a full beard. So basically, it's more or less just of, uh, I guess it would be like, uh, like for us, it would be like, I I would say, kind of like having a wedding ring. Their, their beard would kind of signify, you know, a wedding ring. The cutting of the beards had to do somehow, though, with uh, recognizing one's sinfulness? 
Well, the see the first guy that actually that it actually he actually did it to was Levi Miller. He's one of the guys that was in the community, one of the ministers. And he just when when Sam first told Levi's son-in-law to cut Levi's beard, Levi was the first guy to have his beard cut. To cut his beard, Sam did it more or less as a joke when it started. Hmm. But after this guy, after Levi had his beard cut, that's when Sam started, you know, having different people within the community cutting the other guys' beards, you know, and hair off. Nope, not one of the guys voluntarily cut off their own hair and beard. You know, it was all ordered by Sam, you know, whose hair and whose beard to cut. And then as it went outside of the community, and the rationale for that, I understand, is that these were uh, enemies, right, or or bad people. Is that is that right. the well, rationale? Whenever, whenever it went outside of the community, Sam was looking for revenge. He had excommunicated quite a few people from the from the Burgos community, and those people moved out and joined another Amish community. Now, usually, you know, if somebody is a member of the Amish community and they leave, they leave one Amish community to join another, if they're excommunicated, when they leave their community to go join another one, they first have to go back to where they came from and be in good standing with the community that they're leaving before another Amish community can accept them. But due to the circumstances, they had 360-some bishops get together and go over the facts that Sam had to excommunicate these people. And these... 360-some bishops came up with the, with the decision that Sam was putting these, was shunning these people, excommunicating these people out of spite and not out of a righteous attitude or a righteous reason that he had to excommunicate these people. So they overturned his shunning and took those people back into their own communities. And he wanted revenge for that. And that's what started uh, the beard cutting of those others. And that's what eventually led to uh, the arrest and and, and, uh, and eventually the trial and, and conviction. Right. I mean, you know, first, you know, they like, like you can read in the book, you know, there's, you know, the Millers, you know, they go to Jogger County, cut their parents' hair and beard. And that was more or less, you know, those, those children did that more or less to prove to Sam that they were on his side. They didn't really have that much against their parents. They more or less did it to prove to Sam that they were on his side. So, you know, after that, they then went and targeted the bishop in Holmes County, in Carroll County. And after that, you know, a couple of arrests were made. So they, Sam was like, you know, we'll just hold still for a little bit. We'll just let this quiet down. But then he urged Emmanuel Schrock to lure his father to his own home and cut his hair and beard. And that was after four guys had already been arrested and had been out on bail. So after having had guys out on bail and somebody within the community attacked again, that's where the feds stepped in and did an investigation and you know, these Amish people don't even have to press charges. The feds are going to press charges on their own. 
So now you are outside of the community. Do you consider yourself Amish? No, no, I don't. You don't uh, see yourself uh, ever uh, uniting with another Amish community? I, I don't. I don't see myself ever doing that. I mean, like I said, you know, I, I'm. I'm not going to swear by it because I never, you know, things change. But I, I don't see myself ever joining an Amish community again. Not not after having the experience I had within that community. I'm not saying. I mean, I know for a fact that there's no other Amish community that I know of that is anything even close to being like it was in Burgles. Mm-hmm. It's just, I, I just don't want to be within a community where I have that many rules and regulations and restrictions to follow. Well, how many have, have come out of that community? You mentioned uh, y- your cousin. Are there others as well? Yes, my, uh, my aunt, Linda Schrock, she was actually, she's actually the one that was in prison for two years in Minnesota. After she got out of prison, you know, she'd been in prison for two years, and she got to know people in there. After she got out, she actually left. She's no longer Amish either. She just lives like two miles from the Bertolt's Amish community, lives right in town. She has a job. She does house cleaning. She got her driver's license. She bought bought a car and everything. So, you know, after having been away from the community long enough and being for two years, being in prison and talking to people in prison, she discovered that life doesn't have to be like this. You can actually live a free and happy life. You don't have to live under a dictator like her father, Sam Mullet. She she left with all her children, except for two. Two of the children are still living in the community with their father, and they actually have a divorce. So I, I would say there's probably a total of, I'm going to say, 12 or 15 people that have come out, you know, including myself. Which seems to me a small number uh, compared to what had happened in that community. That still that value of that community, even under the leadership of Sam, still is uh, still is going on. Yes, it is a small number. But there's, I think there's still going to be more people coming out, young people especially. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't, they don't understand why they have to live the way they do. So where is your life taking you now? Uh, I have a, I have one, one child of my own. I'm a, I'm a self-employed farrier. I do, uh, do horseshoeing. It's, it's been a good life. Johnny Mast has been my guest uh, on Progressive Spirit. He's the author of Breakaway Amish, Growing Up with the Bergholtz Beard Cutters. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Glad to be with you. You've been listening to Progressive Spirit. Find links to podcasts at ProgressiveSpirit.net. Progressive Spirit is now syndicated with Pacifica Radio Network and produced at KBOO in Portland, Oregon. I'm John Schuck. Be welcome.